Hey everybody, welcome into another episode of Locked On Nittany Lions, a part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Kevin McGuire, and today is Tuesday, March 24th, 2020. We talk about Penn State sports all the time right here on this podcast, Monday through Friday, so make sure you are subscribed on your favorite podcasting apps, such as iTunes and Google Play. We're over on Spotify and Stitcher Radio, iHeartRadio, whatever you use to listen to podcasts, especially if you are stuck at home right now or you're working from home for whatever reason, uh, you can go ahead and tell your smart devices like Alexa and Google Home to play the Locked On Nittany Lions podcast at any time, in any room, wherever you may be. We'll try to keep you entertained and pass the time a little bit, piece by piece, as we move forward throughout whatever's going on out there right now. But of course, if you are subscribed and you do enjoy the podcast, you want to help support us a little bit more, leaving a review and a rating on those various podcasting platforms does help because it'll help with our placement on those platforms moving forward as we continue to try and grow the show. And we just genuinely appreciate your feedback. We want to hear from you guys. And we also want you to be a part of the show. So make sure you send in your questions, send in your comments to us on Twitter, at Locked On Nittany, and you can check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Locked On Nittany. We also have that YouTube channel up as well, so if you go to YouTube and search for Locked On Nittany Lions, we should pop up. Coming up in today's episode, we are going to take a look at the latest recruiting announcement from a potential Penn State quarterback in the class of 2021. We'll see. Crossing your fingers, probably. Take an updated look at the situation for a wide receiver who looks like he may be moving away from football entirely at Penn State. Today is Twitter Tuesday. Didn't get a whole lot of questions, but we do have at least one question to get into in today's episode. We'll address that. And we will continue our theme of saying nice things about other Big Ten schools in uh, in our latest series as we continue to move forward throughout the rest of the Big Ten. We've got another Big Ten West team we're going to be nice to in today's episode. So go ahead, get your coffee, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of Locked on Nittany Lions. Let's go ahead and get started. the NCAA officially shut down all recruiting activities as far as coaches traveling to visit recruits and recruits coming to campuses to visit schools and checking them out in person due to the ongoing pandemic with the COVID-19 virus outbreak. Uh, that doesn't mean that recruiting news is slowing down. <laughs> Certainly on Monday, that was not the case at all. As one of the top quarterbacks in the country, top dual threat quarterback in the country, Caleb Williams announced his top five as he continues to go through his personal recruiting uh, process. And lo and behold, Penn State was among those top five. And they're in some really tough competition in order to get that recruitment uh, finalized uh, by the time signing day comes around. But Caleb Williams, again, the number one quarterback in the class of 2021, a dual threat option out of Washington, D.C., obviously a, a very key potential recruiting ground for a program like Penn State, especially as Maryland continues to to move forward with Mike Loxley. And, of course, you all know about uh, the, the recruiting impact that uh, schools like Michigan and Ohio State are always going to have in that area, and Virginia Tech and Virginia probably with the success that they've been having. Washington, D.C. is a very tough place to get some of the top talent. But if Penn State can secure some of those players, that's obviously a big win moving forward. Now, Kayla Williams is one of the top recruits that we've seen out of Washington, D.C. And having Penn State in his top five, that's always a positive sign moving forward. However, I don't know if I would get too carried away with the idea of Kayla Williams playing at Penn State. Now, the other four schools in contention are Maryland, his home school, his quote home school, 
and Oklahoma, which seems to be the rising candidate among the uh, the competition here. And the two teams that played for last year's national championship, Clemson and LSU. Now, Clemson's obviously pretty interesting given all the success that they have had recently. And you know, Trevor Lawrence is probably going to be playing his final year. So uh, Clemson could potentially be handing off from Trevor Lawrence to Kayla Williams for Dabo Sweeney. And then, of course, at LSU, we just saw what Joe Burrow was able to do. And we'll see how that resurrects and changes the way LSU goes about all things offensively moving forward. But certainly the way that Joe Burrow just played last year, winning the Heisman Trophy and leading them to a national championship, that certainly makes LSU a much more attractive option for any dual threat quarterback out there. But of course, Oklahoma seems to be the rising candidate. And if you look at the 24 seven sports uh, crystal ball predictions, Oklahoma, I think it was riding around 80%. Uh, the last that I checked on Monday. And it, that makes sense too, given the success that Lincoln Riley has had with his quarterbacks the last few years, obviously with Baker Mayfield winning a Heisman trophy, becoming the number one uh, draft pick in the NFL draft, following that up with Kyler Murray winning a Heisman trophy and being the number one pick in the NFL draft. And uh, what he did this past season with Jalen Hurts, who didn't win the Heisman Trophy, but was a Heisman Trophy finalist, and they still won the Big 12 and got into the college football playoff. So obviously, whatever Lincoln Riley is doing with his quarterbacks is going to attract a lot of eyes from some of the top dual threat options out there, Kayla Williams notwithstanding. But Penn State being in the mix is certainly a positive, and that, that speaks well of what James Franklin is doing with his recruiting. And uh, obviously, if you want to let your imagination run wild, it's you know it'd be, it would be pretty interesting to see Kayla Williams come in and be Penn State's uh, top recruit in the class of 2021. We've talked this recruiting class has taken a couple hits with some decommitments and being able to secure one of the top players out there in the country. That would certainly be a milestone achievement for where James Franklin and his staff have been going. Obviously they've been doing well in recruiting, but to get one of the top players in the country, that that's a step that they're still trying to accomplish. Now, I wouldn't get my hopes up too much. Like I said, I think Oklahoma is probably the, the rising candidate. And it is interesting to see how this ongoing uh, pandemic is affecting the recruiting situations a little bit. Uh, if you read uh, the 24-7 Sports uh, article about Kayla Williams' latest uh, top five, it noted that uh, a trip to Penn State had to be canceled because of everything going on. I don't know if it said that it was going to be rescheduled. I would imagine it probably will whenever we get to a normalcy, uh, hopefully. And that could be something just to keep in mind because if we don't get a chance to get back to normal in quite some time, that I wonder if that would impact negatively uh, Penn State's chances or maybe positively. I don't know. We just saw, you know, we just discussed yesterday how this stuff is potentially helping Rutgers secure some more local talent. And I don't know if it's uh, just a coincidence or if that really is an impact. Uh, but it would be interesting if, you know, Kalen Williams, who hasn't been able to take an official visit to Penn State, if that would hurt Penn State's chances. Um, you know, you obviously had a trip to Oklahoma planned for their spring game, and that hasn't been able to happen. And we'll see if that ends up happening or not. But just something to keep an eye on. And then one other note coming out from uh, Penn State yesterday, the uh, spring roster was released, even though there is no spring football. So we got a chance to see some of the numbers that these newer early enrollees are going to be wearing. But the more new Notable development was probably the status of wide receiver Matt Kippenhammer, or we should say, I guess, 
former wide receiver, Matt Capenhammer. Now, the Daily Legion reported that he's not on the spring football roster, and we already knew that he wasn't scheduled to participate in spring football, but it does seem as though he is going to be focusing more on baseball and maybe entirely on baseball at this point. So James Franklin is actually going to be having a Zoom conference call, uh, which seems to be all the rage these days, these Zoom calls. He's going to be uh, meeting with the media on Wednesday afternoon. Uh, obviously, he can't do a regular press conference, so he's going to be doing a Zoom uh, press conference with a lot of reporters. I, I'm going to be calling in, and we'll, I'm sure that'll be addressed uh, to see what James Franklin has to say about that. And when he does, we'll relay that information for you as well. But obviously, uh, no hip and hammer is another blow to the wide receiver depth a little bit. And it's uh, just more urgency for one of these wide receivers to kind of step it up this upcoming season. Because obviously, now we probably don't have a hip and hammer to look forward to. J.J. Hamler's off to the NFL. And Justin Shorter transferred to Florida. So, uh, you know, the absence of spring football is going to hurt with the wide receiver core. Because we don't get a chance to get them ingrained with the new offensive coordinator. We don't see what they do with the new wide receiver coach. Obviously, you can probably do some stuff. Uh, through communication online and everything, but not having that chance to really work hands-on for the foreseeable future could be a detriment to Penn State's offense uh, coming up in the fall. But again, we'll see what happens as the summer and the spring progress, and uh, hopefully we can get a chance to see these teams all throughout the country get back on a practice field at some point. Uh, because if not, you know, we're going to start to wonder whether or not the fall season is going to be in some serious jeopardy, and when it does, What's the status of the performance going to be on the field? So today is Twitter Tuesday, and we're going to do this every Tuesday moving forward where we address your questions and comments via Twitter. And I'll always put out a request to get in some of your comments and questions so we can make sure that they are included in the show. And I'll put out requests multiple times, so don't mind me begging for your questions and comments because we want you guys to be a part of the show. And the best way to do that is to submit your questions and your comments. And you can do this at any time, but every Tuesday is going to be dedicated, at least for one segment, to addressing the questions and comments that we get from you guys. Now, like I said, we just kind of started this up, kind of joining in on the theme that's going across the podcast network. Uh, So I don't have a lot to get into, but fortunately, somebody who follows me on Twitter was kind enough to send me three separate questions, and we're going to address them all right here in this segment for Twitter Tuesday. And these questions all come from a pals at Mission CFB on Twitter. It's at Mission CFB. Uh, check them out on Twitter. Good follow. Uh, fun college football conversation any time of year. And these are college football oriented questions. So first question comes from Mission CFB. And it is, if you could tailgate outside five different college stadiums this fall, what five would they be? Now, of course, I'm going to take the, the easy, biased response and say that Penn State uh, should be one of those top five because, let's be honest, tailgating at Penn State is a tradition, and it is a, a unique tradition. So I, I got to say Penn State is going to be one of them. And, again, if that's a biased answer, so be it. But I do have four others that I'm going to throw out there. And I'm going to travel down to the south, and I'm going to start at LSU. Uh, because I, uh, everything I hear about LSU, uh, given the game day atmosphere inside the stadium, leads me to believe that it's a probably a pretty active tailgating scene outside as well. And I think when you're tailgating in the South, you're going to have some uh, Southern Cajun style offerings on the the meals and the the the, the uh, appetizers. And to me, that just gets my mouth watering just thinking about it. So I would suggest that going to LSU, given the fact that they are the defending national champions and uh, the game day atmosphere and the, the environment that everybody says is up there or down there, <laughs> I think it has to be something that 
I would experience. I'm going to stay in the South, though. I'm going to stay in the SEC, and I'm going to suggest that the Grove at Ole Miss is probably a place that I would like to check out. So I'm going to go uh, from LSU. I'm going to go to Ole Miss. Uh, everything that I've heard about the, the, the Grove and the tailgating tents that are lined up there at Ole Miss, I think it would be something I just wanted to get checked out. So that those are to my two first SEC responses. I'm going to move over to the Big 12, though, and I'm not going to go with the traditional home game in the Big 12. I'm going to go to the State Fair uh, between Texas and Oklahoma in Dallas, and I just feel like you know that is one of the games that I feel is as much of a college football tradition as they come. Uh, I put it up there with the Army-Navy game. Not above Army-Navy game, but certainly on par with that kind of uh, level of tradition, and I feel as though... You've got a good mix of Oklahoma fans and Texas fans. And maybe it gets a little rally at some point. But I think just going to the State Fair with all the deep fried stuff that they have to offer, that would be one of my options. And I don't know if that's necessarily a regular tailgating response, but I'm going to put it on there because I want to see what they have to offer. Now, I'm going to go back up to the Big Ten. Now, like I said, I've, we've already been uh, to a Big Ten tailgate with Penn State, but I'm going to go to the far other end of the Big Ten. I'm going to head out to Nebraska because those people are some of the kindest people out there, and I would imagine that they've got a pretty good tailgating scene. You see, they always pack their stadium for the spring game. That tells me that they are a fun fan base. They are a loyal fan base, and they are going to welcome you with open arms, and they're going to feed me some of the best Midwestern uh, Nebraska cornbread that you can probably imagine, uh, and I think that would be pretty fun. So I've got Penn State, obviously. I've got LSU, Ole Miss. I'm going to the State Fair between Oklahoma and Texas, and I'm going to say Nebraska for my fifth one. Next question. Which college football stadium offers the best home field advantage? Now, this is a great one, too, because we all know uh, Beaver Stadium can be rocking. And I do think that it is one of the best home field advantages. Now, I would like to see that home field advantage lead to a couple more wins against a team like Ohio State. Maybe we'll see that this year. But as far as home field advantage, I just mentioned LSU. That is a pretty good home field advantage, as far as I can tell. Uh, there's a there's a, a lot of good responses, and I really I do genuinely feel that a whiteout crowd at Beaver Stadium is probably really tough to beat. I, I really do honestly believe that uh, from everything I can witness. Now I can't say this because I haven't been to a lot of these other stadiums out there, but I would imagine going into Death Valley at LSU is a very tough place to go. They don't lose a lot of home games. And you know, I think the, the team that has the best chance of going in there and coming away with a win is going to be Alabama. Uh, but I just feel as though going into Baton Rouge, not an easy place to play. Now, I understand that winning streaks at home tend to get extended because of uh, some of the, um, uh, the, the non-conference scheduling. But you know what? You're still playing conference schedules. So LSU's got a pretty good home record. Uh, Penn State's got a pretty good home record. Ohio State has a pretty good home record as well. And I think that Ohio Stadium is actually a really good candidate for a, a strong home field advantage. Now, again, you can go into Ohio Stadium and leave with a win. Penn State has done it. Oklahoma has done it. Uh, but there's just something about Ohio Stadium. I feel like that's a, maybe it's more of a house of horrors, <laughs> given the way that Penn State's last couple of games out there have gone. But I, I feel like Ohio Stadium's got a pretty good home field advantage as well. Uh, the, the one other stadium I would love to see on a game day would be Oregon's Autzen Stadium. Uh, you know, when Oregon is rocking the way that they are right now, I imagine going into that place, I hear it gets really, really loud. Um, 
I've been to some loud games, but I, I from what I hear, uh, the, Austin Stadium, when it is cooking uh, with a really good Oregon team, that's going to be a pretty tough environment too. So I, I would put that on the list of candidates as well. And finally, uh, this kind of goes back to what I was talking about yesterday, my uh, finally getting a chance to watch Rudy for the first time. The last question from Admission CFB is, where does Rudy rank on your all-time college football movies list and why? Well, you know what? It's interesting because the more I think about it, the more I th- realize I haven't seen a ton of college football movies. Uh, you know, I've seen a lot of high school movies. You know, Remember the Titans is probably my favorite football movie out there uh and that's a high, about a high school uh team and you know friday night lights is about uh, high school um i i didn't see i haven't seen a lot of the football movies that are out there so my answer is probably pretty disappointing and i almost almost by default i guess i had to put rudy at number one except we are marshall's pretty good it's i mean it's not great uh, but I, I feel as though I would probably put Rudy above We Are Marshall. And I'm trying to think off the top of my head, what other college football movies have I seen? And honestly, I, I can't think of many that come to my mind right now. I think a lot of the sports movies I've seen uh, with regards to football have more been about the high school football. Uh, and I think that those movies are better. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I, I do like Rudy, though. I will admit that I, I do think that some of the love for it goes a little bit overboard. Uh, but I, I feel like... Uh, if I were to put the list together, I would almost by default have to put Rudy at number one uh, for my best college football movie. But you know what? There's probably something that I'm just not thinking about off the top of my head right now, and I'm probably embarrassed to say that. And I'm sure when I go back and listen to this podcast after it's already posted, I will remember something or somebody will point something out to me. But like I said, I haven't seen a lot of football movies that you might think I have seen. So you can hold that against me if you want, but let me know what your favorite college football movie is. Is Rudy number one? Is Ru- is there something better than Rudy? What do I need to be checking out? So hit me up on Twitter, at LockdownNitney, and let me know what your favorite college football movie is. And what college football stadium offers the best home field advantage according to you? Is it Beaver Stadium? And feel free to address any of these questions that we have on our podcast moving forward. And it's always fun to have that conversation, especially in times like this. We've got a lot of things to do on our to-do list at home probably right now. But let's kill some time and relax and have some fun conversation as well. Real quick, let me go back to that last segment and one of the questions about the best home field advantage in a college football stadium. And one stadium that I didn't mention was Kinnick Stadium. Now, we all know the home of the Iowa Hawkeyes is a very tough place to play, especially when you're a highly ranked team, as Penn State has found out on more than one occasion. Now, sometimes they come away with a win, and sometimes they've come away with a loss. But going into Kinnick Stadium in a nighttime atmosphere when you are a highly ranked opponent, it's not an easy place to play. And so Kinnick Stadium probably deserves some props for being a a tough place. But you know what? I think enough teams have gone in there and won. I think that myth has been a little bit, uh, fractured, I would say. I wouldn't say busted because it is still a tough place to play and I was going to give it to you. And that's why we lead into our segment today where we continue our theme of saying nice things about Big Ten teams. And let's talk about those Iowa Hawkeyes because, you know, honestly, I kind of like and respect Iowa and what Kirk Ferentz has done with that program and on many different levels. I mean, Kirk Ferentz is the elder statesman of Big Ten coaches and he's one of the longest tenure coaches in college football for a reason. And it's because he has a study production going forward. Now, I was not going to be a team that uh, you think about as a true Big Ten contender on a very regular basis. But given the way that the divisions are set up, Iowa is more than capable of playing for Big Ten titles 
every now and then. And maybe they should be doing it a little bit more. But as we said in yesterday's episode, Wisconsin is the class of that conference, right? Or that division right now. Now, Iowa is certainly equipped more years than not to give Wisconsin a good run. And if they win a head-to-head matchup against the Badgers, uh, Iowa could easily be the team to beat in that division. But take a look at what Kirk Ferentz has done over the course of a career. Of course, he's taken over for Hayden Fry back in 1999. And he had a miserable first year, 1-10. It was a, a miserable season in 1999 for Iowa. But they started to show signs of improvement. They won three games the next year in 2000. They won seven games in 2001. And then from 2002 to 2004, they won at least 10 games in three consecutive seasons. That's not something that has happened at Iowa very often. Uh, so you start to see that Kirk Ferentz knows what he's doing. He's got some really good teams. Those teams all finished in the top 10 of the AP poll. They got as high as number three back in 2002 when they were 11-2. So over the course of Kirk Ferentz's career, he has those highs that are pretty high. And his lows aren't all that low. I mean, Iowa is a 7-8 win team almost by default every year. And you can just add a couple wins here and there, maybe based on the schedule or maybe based on some of the talent that goes through its cycles. You know, Iowa's always going to play some really good, gritty defense. And certainly when they play at home, they're very tough to beat, as we just said. So Iowa's a team that is going to have those really good seasons that pop up every now and then. Now they're coming off a 10 and three wins, uh, 10 and three season last year with a victory against USC in the uh, Holly bowl. And they just completely embarrassed USC. That was a great win for Kirk Ferentz and Iowa. They end the season at number 15 in the AP poll. We got as high as 14 and that was two consecutive years where they finished in the top 25. First time they had done that since 2008 and 2009. So you look around and you start to see, you know, maybe there's some consistency once again here for Iowa. And is this going to be a team that in 2020, supposing there's a college football season, is this a team that can legitimately give Wisconsin a run for that Big Ten title? Now, again, over the summer, we'll take a look, a little bit of a deeper look at Iowa's schedule and what they exactly they have to work with going into the season. But to me, you know, I never count Iowa out in that Big Ten West race. It really just a lot of it comes into play with your cross division games. You know, who gets who draws Ohio State, Michigan and or Penn State on any given year. It seems as though that comes into play the way things are right now. But Iowa is capable of handling any one of those three teams that I just mentioned from the Big Ten East, especially if those games are at home. Now. Again, they, they, they suffer some of the same setbacks that I think uh, programs like Nebraska and Wisconsin will generally have, just based on the geography. They're not going to get some of the star-studded uh, recruits at some of the offensive skill positions. But defensively, uh, they find guys that work for them. And they find running backs and they find offensive linemen. They find the bread and butter for what makes for a typical uh, or a typically difficult team to beat in the Big Ten. Now, it doesn't always necessarily translate uh, matchup-wise when you go up against a team from, say, the SEC. Uh, that can be a little bit of deficiencies. But as far as just getting to the Big Ten championship game, Kirk Ferentz knows what it takes to get there. And it's could be a matter of time before Kirk Ferentz actually wins a Big Ten title. Now, he may be running out of time, if we're being honest. I mean, he's been on this job, like I said, since 1999. Uh, so he's been doing this for quite some time, and we know coaches can't coach forever. So <laughs> there's going to come a point where there is a change in the guard at Iowa, and I still feel as though whoever takes over, whenever Kirk Ferentz does this, decide to step aside, they're going to have 
the same kind of challenges, but they'll still have the same kind of potential. And it's it's all about who they hire. But you know, Kirk Ferentz has established himself as a gritty coach who knows what he's doing. And we may have some quarrels with him from time to time. He can be a little rough at times, and maybe you don't support all of his decisions. But I think as far as what he has built at Iowa, uh, a team that is capable of winning 9 to 11 games almost any given year, I think is uh, pretty commendable. And they're coming off a three straight seasons that have ended with a bowl victory with the pinstripe bowl, outback bowl and the holiday bowl. And uh, he's got a chance to win four straight bowl games. And I don't know if I was ever won four straight bowl games in four consecutive years. Uh, so if I don't believe that has been the case. So looking to make some school history this year. I think they've got a pretty good chance to do it. And that's going to do it for this episode of Locked On Nittany Lions. Again, I apologize for getting this one out a little bit later in the day than I typically do, but I hopefully you understand the, uh, the the circumstances that we're all working through right now. Schedules are a little bit different. I am going to try and get back onto a regular schedule very soon with the publishing of the and posting of these podcasts, so just keep that in mind. Anyway, to make sure you never miss an episode, regardless of when it is posted, make sure you are subscribed on your favorite podcasting app, such as iTunes and Spotify, Google Play, all that good stuff, and Leave a rating, leave a review so you let us know how we're doing with the podcast. And if you want to help us out a little bit, that generally helps with the placement on those podcasting forums as well. So we generally appreciate any support and feedback you have for us. We will continue with another episode coming up tomorrow, of course, and throughout the rest of the week, we'll continue our series of saying nice things about the Big Ten. But also, feel free to send in more questions and more comments. We'll include them in the show as well moving forward. Best way to do that is to hook us up on Twitter, at LockedOnNittany. And, of course, you can check out our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash LockedOnNittany. And I'm going to start putting together some more audio clips to put them on the YouTube channel as well. So go to YouTube. Search for Locked on Nittany Lions. Check us out, out. Check us out there and give us a subscription on YouTube as well if you want. I'm Kevin McGuire. You can give me a follow on Twitter at Kevin on CFB. Check out my ongoing national college football coverage on athonsports.com and college football talk on NBCSports.com. I do have some stories that I didn't get a chance to get into in today's episode. We'll shelve them and put them in tomorrow's episode as well. A lot of conversation about whether or not this ongoing pandemic is going to impact the 2020 college football season. So we'll get into that a little bit in tomorrow's episode as well. Before I go, I want to make sure you guys know about the Draft Dudes podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Get all of your NFL draft buzz leading up to the NFL draft and a lot of storylines going on with that. And, of course, we're going to have some content regarding some mock drafts coming up very soon across the network. So make sure you check that out on the Locked On Podcast Network. The Draft Dudes, get your draft buzz right there. All right, that's going to do it for today. Thank you so much for listening. Go 1-0 today. Do whatever you have to do to get through. Make sure you're staying healthy. Stay clean. Keep that social distance and awareness going. Uh, we're all going to get through this together. Thank you so much for listening, guys. I'll talk to you again tomorrow.